Welcome to Healthcare is Human, a monthly podcast featuring authentic storytelling and healthcare with your host, Dr. Ryan McCarthy. Welcome to Healthcare is Human. I'm Ryan McCarthy. Listeners, in this episode of the podcast, I'm sitting down and having a conversation with one of my young colleagues. There's an entire generation of doctors who have been forged by this COVID-19 pandemic. So uh, would you be able to introduce yourself to our listeners? Hi, my name is Kenza Noor, and I'm a fourth-year medical student at West Virginia University. Now, Kenza, uh, for people, our listeners who are not in healthcare, you know, we're, we're two years into the pandemic. Um, all of our lives have been disrupted but yours has been disrupted, your education has been disrupted, but you're in medical school, and so your education has continued. And so that's part of the reason that I I really want to talk to you to hear you are a member of a generation that has truly been forged by the pandemic. So if we back up, describe for our listeners, what were you doing in January, February 2020? So I was in my second year of medical school, and this is when we are starting to prepare for our step one exam, which is one of the most important exams of our medical school career. And I remember I went home for spring break and just never went back to campus because everything shut down, everything turned virtual. And I was far away from my classmates, unsure of what's going to happen next. Everyone was so afraid and worried. Our testing centers were starting to close down. And honestly, it was just, it was just the unknown that was just worrying us and not being able to uh, be sure of like where our education is headed and if our clinicals are going to start in a few months. So I just was in in the midst of it. And honestly, it was a very difficult time for all of us. So for our listeners who are not in healthcare or who have not been around a medical school, um, when we say the idea, when we say a step one exam, um, describe for our listeners what goes into that. Uh, because uh, medicine is known for having high stakes exams, very big, important steps that we go through in our career. So this uh, global pandemic comes along at probably the worst time early in your career. So step one exam, what kind of preparation went into that for you? Sure. So this is a eight hour exam that we take um, in a center and it's basically everything that we've learned in the first and second year of medical school. Um, And a lot of resources that we use is like lecture material, um, resources from our professors. And then we also use like outside resources like UWorld where we do a lot of questions Um, We also use a very thick book called First Aid, which has all the information that we need to know. Um, And then there's other resources like Sketchy Medical um, that was also very helpful. Uh, Years ago, I described to a non-medical friend the first two years of medical school and then taking this step exam. And then so my friend looked at me and said, oh, so you, you leave college, you go to medical school. The first year, you basically do a master's degree. You turn around, you do another master's degree, and then you take a giant test. Would, would that be a fair characterization? Yes, that is very true. The amount of information I learned in one week of medical school, I think I learned the entire semester of undergrad. 
Yeah, there are many of us uh, that feel that way. And I, I think that's both the, the challenge of medicine, but it's also, as I tell many of my patients, you know, this is why, this is how we achieve competency in things that are very difficult, is just by large amount of learning, high expectations. And so two years ago, beginning of the pandemic, you're going from second to third year uh, of, of medical school. So uh, take our listeners back to the beginning of your third year what was your personal experience? And so that would be June, July, August, 2020. Yeah. So this was also a weird time because we usually would have in-person orientation to kind of get us prepared of like what to do on rotations and, you know, like things like scrubbing into surgery and stuff like that. But we also had, um, some of us were exposed to COVID, so we had to quarantine. So all of our orientation turned virtual. And of course, you can't really teach people how to scrub into surgery virtually. And things like suturing, um, like talking to patients, you can't really learn that virtually. Um, so that was very difficult. And then transitioning into, and then we also had to um, skip some time in the beginning of our rotation because of the quarantine, the two weeks quarantine. So I was also missing some of my important rotations that, you know, I, I had to get exposure to. Um, so it was just a, it was a difficult transition, but um, there was nothing that we could do about it. And we had to kind of adapt to whatever was thrown at us. Yeah, and one of the one of the things I ask many of, of my colleagues, and I'll ask you, Kenza, is was there a really low point or multiple low points during that difficult, the early days, the you know, there you are trying to put one foot in front of the other. Was there ever a point where you thought, I might not be able to do this? You know, there was no end in sight at the beginning, no vaccine. You know, we've come a long way, but in those early days, did you think like, oh my gosh, this might derail my career before it even starts? Oh, yeah, for sure. Um, this goes back to when COVID first started around um, March when everything shut down. Um, so in order for us to transition from um, like lecture-based learning to a uh, um, a clinical-based um, education, um, we have to pass our step one exam. And like I said, all the centers started shutting down. I remember it was uh, the night before my pharmacology exam, I got an email saying like all the centers have been shut down um, where I had initially planned to take my exam. And that just put us all in a panic that, you know, if we can't take this exam, then we can't go do our clinical rotations and that might delay our graduation. So all of this unknown was just very stressful for all of us. And then the stress of taking this eight hour exam on top of it. It was just a very difficult time and being away from like my classmates, having that camaraderie was just so difficult on everyone's mental health. And honestly, that moment, we just weren't sure of like what our education is going to turn. Yeah. And I, I, gosh, it's just, um, I'm thinking back to my own experience, you know, 20 some years ago. Um, and I can't even imagine it being derailed by this pandemic. Um, and so if we go through, okay, so there's your third year. Was there any point during your third year when you felt like we started to get into some type of, I don't want to say normal, because none of this has been normal, but I'm going to say a rhythm, a pandemic rhythm of like, okay, this is here and it's going to stay and this is what we're doing. Was there any point where you felt like, okay, this is the third, the pandemic third year? When did, did that start? 
Um, I think it did eventually. Um, at first, the thing was if we were at first, they weren't testing the patients before admitting them. And then we were the medical students were getting exposed often. And then we would have to quarantine, which means we wouldn't be able to go into rotation, which I feel like was very much affecting all of our education. Um, but then eventually they um, gave us N95s to wear and the testing before admission really helped us um, steer clear of being exposed to COVID. And I feel like at that point, we were finally able to start seeing our own patients and seeing the more critically ill patients. Um, and at that point, I feel like we were able to kind of accept the fact that this is our new normal. Um, and from there, I feel like we've just become more and more comfortable with it. You know, you know, um, any of us that have been through significant adversity, whether whether it's a, a, a war or a pandemic, you know, we think of the trauma, the disruption, the bad things. However, anybody who has survived and persevered can gain an incredible sense of of strength and agency. And what I my term is often battle tested. So. Kins, I'm just asking you to speak for yourself, but I'll set up my question by saying, I think your generation of doctors battle tested by the pandemic. I think there are challenges in the future that you all are just going to find a breeze because this is how you started. Have you ever thought about that? How this once in a century event started when you were just beginning. And as a result, you're going to take away a huge amount of confidence and skills from this. Oh, yeah, I uh, totally agree. Um, I definitely think that this pandemic has humbled us as future doctors. And I feel like we've um, become more, we've become more accepting to adjust to different circumstances. You know, you never know what's going to be thrown at you. And having to go, go through this pandemic during medical school has been very difficult. But I feel like we've all come out or I've come out stronger at the end. Um, and I've, I really do think that, um, this, I feel like it's helped me understand, um, you know, like how to be there for patients, um, during their difficult times. And, um, I really do think it, it'll be very beneficial in the, in the long run. In speaking about difficult times, um, I often ask people about their darkest moments or, horrible hospital moments or those lonely times were there were there any moments in the pandemic when you found yourself you know with with a patient um, where they were they were alone isolated from their family um, if so um, what kind of feelings did you have uh, from that experience sure so I still very much remember my first uh, the first death that I saw in the hospital as a medical student. And I was on my family medicine inpatient rotation, and this is when COVID, we still didn't have a vaccine. Um, and he was a elderly patient, um, and we were only allowing one visitor. Um, and I remember the rest of the family was on an iPad when he was passing away. And I, having seen death in my own family, I know what it feels like to be near family for that support and, you know, just being there for your loved one. At that moment, I really just felt so, I just felt so distraught. Like I just couldn't imagine 
what that family was going through, you know, like not being able to spend those last moments with their loved one. Um, and that was definitely the moment that like made me realize that, wow, like we should, we should be grateful for like everything that we have. And that was the one moment that I really do remember often during this pandemic. When we when we think about that, you know, so many of us who are on the front lines of healthcare, patient care during those lonely and dark times, I I, I have some similar experiences. Um, I'd ask you kind of a follow up question: When that happened, I mean, so many of us didn't even have time to to contemplate something like that. Um, did you find that it, it took a while to, to to process that to really kind of go through that because there, you know, people outside of medicine don't realize that some days you, you work really hard, you have a terrible experience like that. And then the next day is even worse. (laughs) I I don't, I don't want to say it that way, but you know, so we just keep going, we keep going. Did you find it took a long time to come to terms with the emotional impact of that? Um, I would think so. I think it took me a longer time to, you know, like it was just a difficult moment for me, like seeing that, Um, and it did take a toll on me a little bit. Um, it, I had to step back and be like, all right, like, this is what my normal is going to be from now on. Like the, as a doctor, like this is what I'm going to have to deal with. Um, so at that moment I did have to, it did take me some time to come to terms with that. Um, but like you said, you have to move on to the next patient immediately and, um, you have to make sure you still, you know, be in the right mindset to take care of the next patient. So I did, I did have to step back for that one though. Oh, I, I hear you. And just hearing you describe that, I I'm, I'm going back and, you know, so many of us in healthcare have post-traumatic experiences. And we, when you say certain words, I just, I go back to what I was doing and I remember an ICU situation where we had a, a husband who we terminally extubated wife was out of the hospital and just the whole thing she went into respiratory distress on the phone and actually ended up in the hospital you know those kind of things and um it it took me a long time personally to to just admit how how heavy it was walking around with that and I'm, i'm i'm experienced you know i've been a doctor for 20 years now um did you find people around you at the time were 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 your colleagues talking about these experiences? What kind of environment did you find um, that was there to, to help you? Was, was that available? Yeah. So the residents that I was with, they were, they were also going through the same emotions as me. They were always there right beside me and the patients um, to, you know, be that sense of support when their family or their other visitors could not be around. Um, And having, and knowing that my residents and my attendings are going through the same things and seeing them be okay at the end of the day kind of supported me in a way. Um, and it made me realize that, you know, this is like, this is part of life. Like this is something that as doctors, we have to be prepared to deal with and just, you know, I, I think the support from the, the residents and the other medical students that I was was definitely very important because it's such a difficult time for all of us. So it's a difficult time emotionally and mentally. And having that support system and seeing them go through it was, was definitely very, very nice to have. 
Now, if I switch gears for a second, I'm gonna I'm gonna lighten the load here. Um, so dark moments, we all have those. I also really like to ask uh, people, Kinza, about moments where you thought or experienced or felt something where you were like, "Oh my goodness, this is progress. We have learned, or we have made, or or something." You know, uh, a, a really good positive moment where you started to gain. I'm gonna use the word traction. You know, many of us felt like we were floundering at the beginning. We didn't know. We had nothing. Everybody was alone. No vaccines. What are we doing? And then at some point we start learning. If you go back, um, what were some of the moments where you thought, okay, here was here was a time when I felt like we as as medicine or you as a young doctor, where were, the, where, where were your traction moments? Sure. Um, I feel like there was a lot of uncertainty at first, but um, I think once we finally had a plan for the patients, I remember like at first it was like hydroxychloroquine might be the treatment for it. And then everyone, I remember um, seeing the news and people were having a hard time, you know, getting their medications from CVS. And then I feel like once we actually had a plan and we knew like what was going on, um, I think like once, once we knew that, you know, medications like steroids could be helpful, I feel like that's when we kind of had a better plan and like how many days we had to quarantine. Um, I think, I think once we had a better idea of what was going on, um, definitely, um, I think that's when the uncertainty kind of, kind of stabilized and we kind of had a better idea of like where to go next. You know, and uh, none of us have lived through a pandemic. So when when COVID started, so many of us looked back into history. We looked back to 1918 and we looked at the flu and Corona is not the flu. And that pandemic, there was we didn't even know what the cause of influenza was. We didn't even have airplanes like, you know, the Spanish flu was very different. So I've really found that there were a lot of people that I heard around me who kind of thought, well, this will just go like influenza 1918. Um, well, I know personally, uh, I would say 2020, the first decision I made as a, as a, as a human being, I remember when I was like, oh my goodness, I'm going to graduate a kid from high school in this pandemic. Um, did you have a moment where you thought, oh my gosh, this is going to continue all the way through the rest of medical school. Like this is not a transient disruption. Did you, did you have a moment where you thought that, or maybe even, my gosh, this might even just extend for, did you have the, the existential moment? Like could the very first part of my career, maybe for years, could it, did you have that where you thought this might just be COVID for now? Um, I, I do think so. I think once like our major events started to shut down and uh, like we weren't allowed to be around like families and friends and, you know, um, the, the, the rise in death cases started to rise significantly. I think I was like, Oh my gosh, like, you know, what if, you know, what if this is like our life now, you know, like I, for example, like, um, I think it really hit me when, so at the end of our second year of medical school, we would have our white coat ceremony. Um, and that kind of symbolizes, um, like the journey of medical school and, we that was canceled and then things like other graduations were being canceled uh weddings were starting to be canceled and i feel like at that moment and things like 
the grocery stores were running out of groceries and toilet paper. So I feel like moments like this like made me really realize that this might go on for a while and the uncertainty of where it goes next is what's the scariest part of it all. Kids, I think that's so true. I, I think the uncertainty and um, yeah, I, I think for a generation that comes after us, you know, I, I plan to be, you know, uh, if 20 years from now there are uh, a 20-year-old person standing in front of me and I'm telling some story about how there was no toilet paper and there was no pasta and there was no yeast because everybody was baking bread, these young people are going to look at me like I'm crazy. Uh, but that's all true. We we, we were there. <laughs> that's exactly what happened. Um, and, and I know that uncertainty of just no endpoint. Um, however, even though there's no expiration date on this pandemic, um, there, there's an expiration date on, on your medical school. So let's talk a little bit about what do you see yourself, what do you think the next step of your career is, you know, next year? And then do you, do you allow yourself to think about what do you want to be doing in five years from now? I do. I think having a plan for the long run um, is important, regardless of what, what might hit you in the future. Um, but I, I think one of the the reasons why I decided I wanted to pursue internal medicine um, residency is because of what I've seen. Um, I I want to work with like the sickest of sick population, and I want to be in the front line of any pandemic that we might hit in the future, even this one. Um, and I I do I do. Um, Um, I, yeah, so that, I, I think it's important to have a five-year plan, but also be open to, you know, being able to adapt and adjust to, you know, things that might happen in the future. So when you think about internal medicine, um, you know, most of us who practice internal medicine, um, you know, we've, we've never been shut down, so to speak, uh, cause, internal medicine, whether you're, you're outpatient primary care or whether you're in the hospital. Needless to say, we've had tons to do in the last uh, two years. When you look at this specialty, what, what attracts you to it? Because, you know, um, over the last 20 years, I've told many medical students, you have to figure out where you belong on the team. You know, if you're destined to deliver babies, figure that out. If you're supposed to be an ear surgeon, figure that out and pursue it. If you are meant to see nothing but children and be a pediatrician, we need those too. You know, radiology, whatever. Figure out where you need to be on the team. So when you look at internal medicine, you mentioned maybe a, a couple of things. But Kinza, what, what really appeals to you about this specialty? Yeah, so it took me a while to figure out what I wanted to do. But the reason why I decided to pursue internal medicine is because I just love the patient population that I'm working with. These patients come to you inpatient so extremely sick and into the hospital. And it's your job to not only worry about what they came in for, but you also have to worry about their diabetes and their, is their, is their blood pressure okay? Is there, do they have a urinary infection? There's just so much that you have to worry about. And I feel like I was always challenged by these patients and they always, like I, I, I like to say, I want to go to work and have my brain hurt because of all these challenges. I want my patients to challenge me. Um, and I just always loved working with adults. Um, 
And I feel like being working in the front line, um, you're always going to be challenged. And that's what I want. I want to be there for my patients during their most difficult time and, you know, do whatever I can to help them out. Um, but in terms of specialization, I'm not sure if I want to do just general internal medicine or if I want to specialize in something. Well, you, you still have time to figure that out. And um, I, I love when he, listening to and hearing you say, you know, um, you want your brain to hurt. Well, I, I promise, Lee, promise you, you're going to get that. Um, I find as an internal medicine doctor, I often go home um, and my brain does hurt. And there are days I've made jokes that uh, all of the labs that I look at are all in red and every decision has been complicated because there's four organs involved, a complicated person, 20 medicines. Um, so I, I think you're going to get what you're looking for. Um, now, um, f- for any of us who have been through bad experiences at the bedside, especially at the end of life, one of the wonderful things is that that becomes the power by which you can create a different experience for somebody in the future. And this is one of the things that excites me about your generation of doctors. You have seen many terrible things that we couldn't change. So I'm just going to paint you a picture in the future. Let's say a few years from now you're a resident or maybe you're, you finished your training and you have an end-of-life experience and it's not a pandemic situation and the family can come to the bedside and they're all there and there's no iPad and people are touching and people are talking and they have that. Um, how does that sound to you as, as a woman who's become a doctor in a pandemic? Honestly, that sounds so wonderful. And like I said, having experienced that myself, I feel like I can really relate to the patient and the family and being and seeing that, you know, spending those last moments with your family. Um, I feel like it's very, very important. And I, you know, you can just feel the emotions and the love in the room and because of the pandemic, that's something that we've been deprived of. And I like it sounds really bad to say this, but I look forward to the moments where we have that again, you know, um, and I just want to be able to experience that and be there for my patients holding their hands during their last moments with the rest of the family around. Well, Kins, I think that's the last word on them. On that beautiful thought, we're going to wrap up. You've been listening to Healthcare is Human. You've been listening to Healthcare is Human, stories from the healthcare ecosystem, ideas to change our health culture. This project was created by Ryan McCarthy. It was inspired by the hardworking staff of the Berkeley Medical Center. Be sure to check out the Healthcare is Human Facebook page to see amazing photographs by Molly Humphreys of Shepherdstown, West Virginia. You can find Molly's world-class portfolio by searching for Piccadilly Posh. Original music is by Isaac McCarthy, the one-man band. Kim Mattioli engineers the podcast. Some of our stories are featured in 100 Days in Appalachia. Check them out online at 100daysinappalachia.com. This project is supported by a grant from the West Virginia Humanities Council. Thanks to the Reed College of Media at our Mountain Mama, West Virginia University. Mountaineers, go first. And remember, the next time you go to the hospital, a clinic, and urgent care, be sure to keep in mind that healthcare, healthcare is, is human. human.